This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're listening to Schooled with Carla Hulse. Join Carla as she explores K-12 education disruption and has deep dive conversations with ed leaders, ed tech, ed foundations, ed professional service organizations, and ed educators who school her on ed innovations and their impact on educational policy across the country. Here's Carla. Welcome to Schooled. I'm your host, Carla Hulse, and today joining me is Dr. Erin Butler. Erin is the director of the Region 9 Comprehensive Center and a principal technical assistant consultant at the American Institutes for Research, or AIR. Erin has over 20 years of experience supporting school improvement in public education spanning schools, districts, states, and at the national level. As the Region 9 Comprehensive Center Director, Erin leads a team of staff and experts to provide high-quality, capacity-building services to state LEAs in Illinois and Iowa. Their task is to identify, implement, and sustain evidence-based practices that support improved educator and student outcomes. Erin previously served as the Deputy Director and the Individualized Technical Assistance Lead for the State Support Network. And for you listeners out there, the State Support Network is focused on supporting implementation of the Every Student Succeeds Act. Erin has served as a national thought leader and a contributing author on leadership issues. And prior to joining AIR, Erin served as a high school math teacher, science teacher, and department chair, and most notably led a successful school turnaround effort as a school administrator. Well, welcome to Schooled, Erin. Thanks for having me, Carla. It is a pleasure to uh, get to talk to you today. It is. And just to be completely transparent with my listeners, Aaron and I go back, what, a decade now or more? At at least, yeah, a little over a decade. (laughs) Yeah. We worked together at AIR, the American Institutes for Research, doing the turnaround work because that was the big push back in the day was if we could just turn around these school districts, that would be it. <laughs> yeah. 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 A L- lot of money came out with the, the, yeah. the SIG, the SIG grants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, we, we spent a lot of time together in central Illinois and <laughs> yes. Northern Illinois. And uh, yeah, we did some good work. We did some, we good did. Work. It was good. I mean, so SIG for, again, for listeners is school improvement grants and, and we're going to get more into this because of the role that Aaron has now. But again, there always seems to be a response to data. You know, students aren't meeting whatever the criteria is of today. And so let's roll out a new initiative. And I'm using air quotes, some initiative from the federal government. Um, at that time, the 2010s, it was school improvement grants and school turnaround was the big Thing. So you and I worked at AIR together, but you had a career before then working in schools. So what yeah. led you from former teacher to kind of external support at AIR to now your role at the Region 9 Comprehensive Center? Yeah. 
Wow. So yeah. So where to start on that? <laughs> I took a <laughs> to, deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Twenty plus years of history in yeah. uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I I started out as a teacher, like you said. Uh, it was teaching high school math and and science, and moved into administration in in the St. Louis area. That was really my first foray into into school improvement. Was working at a of a school in St. Louis that was this was pre-school improvement grants. We were working on turnaround before we knew what turnaround was. And towards the end of, of my time there was when the school improvement grants came out, we were actually eligible for. Mm-hmm. And we were positioned to really use that as an accelerant rather than yeah. a lot of schools that get it up front and have to do the planning. We already had our plan in place. We already had yeah. some things in place that we were able to do without the money, yeah. believe it or not. And we're really able to, to accelerate, you know, long story short, we were able to move from that lowest 5% of achievement in math and science to above state averages, Yeah, uh, which was a success story. And being able to tell that success story was really, I think what helped get the job, you know, helped me get the job at AIR. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember your interview. Actually, yeah, I yes. was kind of a I was kind of a pain in the tuchus, yeah. if I if I if I remember correctly. <laughs> ne- never a pain in the tuchus. Always asking <laughs> insightful <laughs> questions because you want to make sure that who you're bringing in is quality. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, when you were talking, Aaron, I was kind of thinking like, when you guys were, and again, I'm using air quotes, turning around your school. Were you guys thinking kind of broader and bigger though? Like, yes, our school and inside of our district needs to turn around, but maybe the entire thing of K-12 is a little bit flawed. And so we're kind of spinning our wheels because the bigger piece is also flawed. Was that a conversation you guys were having or no? Uh, not necessarily out loud, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there was, and, and I also think it was, the, the context of the school that I was uh, an administrator at was focused on, it was called construction careers uh, high school. And the thing that I thought was really helped us was that we had a focus. It was supporting our students to go into career and technical education, mm-hmm. which as a, a former math and science teacher, that aspect was really near and dear to my heart, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason why I went there, but being able to, to make learning relevant, Mm-hmm. for our students and let them see that what you're doing here, the skills you're learning here, it's not just about helping you get a grade. It's not just helping you to necessarily just prepare you to get into college, but really mm-hmm. be successful once you get yeah. there yeah. Uh, or be successful in the workforce. And so those were aspects that we felt a lot of K-12 education has kind of gotten away from mm-hmm. uh, is, mm-hmm. is really looking at colleges is a great goal, but it's not necessarily for everyone. Mm-hmm. And and we can provide opportunities to really help make students prepare them to be successful in you know whatever they pursue. And so that that was really it was a labor of love that uh, yeah. that we were able to do and serve as a model of saying you you can do this and make it relevant and not just right. about test scores, not just Correct. about more math, more reading, but really make it relevant so the kids right. see their future in it. So, Aaron. You get to AIR, um, you're doing turnaround work there. How do you then become the director of the Region 9? Aaron just threw up his hands. He's like, I don't know, the Region 9 Comprehensive Center. Oh, 
Yeah, and, and that was the amazing. And what is the and what is the Region Nine Comprehensive Center? Because people are probably wondering what the heck what is that. Is, yeah, yeah. So, so the Region Nine Comprehensive Center is one of a, a network of comprehensive centers, uh, funded through five year grants with the U.S. Department of Education, and so the Region Nine Center, we are focused on supporting uh, intensive capacity building technical assistance to two states, Illinois and Iowa. Okay. So we're able to have a really laser-like focus, which is is fantastic. And that was part of this new iteration, which we're currently in year three. Uh, okay. And so how I got here was, you know, in the work with AIR, I started supporting one of our content centers, which was called the Center on Great Teachers and Leaders, which was mm-hmm. a national content center. So that took me out of the K-12 education space at the district level mm-hmm. and exposed me to this, this whole new landscape of national and mm-hmm. state level yeah. uh, you know, education. And from there, I also worked on a, a project that we had, it was called the State Support Network. And this was a, uh, it was a four-year contract that we had with the U.S. Department of Education. And we were providing uh, a whole slew of services to states across the country. And this was when they were writing their Every Student Succeeds Act, their ESSA mm-hmm. plans ESSA. Mm-hmm. at that time was State Support Network. So we were heavily involved in providing support to states as they were thinking through their accountability systems yeah. and then uh, and then moved into this director position of the Region 9 Center. So that's the so long would story you short. say for, again, for folks who may not be so familiar with the comp centers or the RELs, the regional yeah. education labs, yeah. all of yeah. these entities, listeners, are funded by the U.S. Department of Ed. So think of it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Aaron, think of it as the federal government only has so many people at mm-hmm. ed. Yeah. And so these regional centers, these comp centers are like... Um, the federal government kind of having its tentacles at the state level. They, they fund these centers to kind of do the work that they want to do, but don't have the manpower to actually do it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, however, I also <laughs> I want feel to, a but. <laughs> but for any states that are listening, I also want to make yeah. sure that uh, the work that we do is not mandated. It's not from the U.S. Department of Ed. Uh, we're actually looking at state priorities. So mm-hmm. we can, we can be that, that hands of support from the U S department of ed. Uh, however, we're really supporting the state as our, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as our, our main client and we're helping them with their priorities. So we're not, mm-hmm. we're not being mm-hmm. dictated to saying you have to work with Illinois on this. You have to work yes. with Iowa on yes. this. Yes. It, it, it's having discussions with those departments of ed, um, and you know the, the leaders in those states of saying, what is your strategic plan? What are the the priorities you have? How can we be of assistance? Yeah, this is this is free support to you. We have this you know this staff. We have this expertise. We're providing free support to help you kind of expand your capacity at the state level. Because I mean, as as you're aware, so many of our state education agencies are. They they need lovely. extra support. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say they're lovely. They're I'll lovely. Think of a nice yes. way to say. <laughs> lovely, lovely people. Lovely people. Uh, but yeah. really, over. I mean, they have so many things that they just 
they can't keep yes. up with everything. And so Correct. having some extra hands, having some extra support and expert expertise yeah. uh, is, is vital to them to help, help them really accomplish their mission as well. So that's, yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking now of, as the focus of all of my podcasts this year is really this kind of aftermath of COVID-19. And so I'm thinking of your role at the comp center. Mm -hmm. Let's just kind of go back to 2020, right? We had this kind of, I would say, racial awakening. Then there was this kind of schooling shift. Yes, people had to shift to remote learning, but there was this kind of underpinning of something's not quite working. You had parents bum rushing school board meetings, right? You had people saying, I'm going to homeschool. In California, we had a lot of pods, you know, parents paying teachers to school their kids, yada, yada, yada. Private school, charter schools are are getting a, a new look at. Unschooling is a thing as well. And then, like you're mentioning with the comp center, there's the federal response. Um, so there are these ESSER funds that are that are coming out. So would you say that your role at the comp center has changed because of all of this post-COVID or is it going to kind of stay the same? What's changed for you guys, at all, if at all? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think the role that the comp centers play hasn't really changed of you know, what we're really charged to do, which was you know, providing that, that support to the states. The U.S. Department of Ed was really supportive of saying, okay, we know this is an unprecedented you know, wave that we're in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you adjust as necessary. You have the flexibility to provide the support to your states that they need. And, and now that things have smoothed a little bit, we've, we've gotten back to more of the, the longer-term projects. Um, and they haven't necessarily changed so much in the, the scope of work. I yeah. mean, one issue that we were working on with Illinois before was – the addressing the teacher shortage mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is still there and right. you probably you know, exacerbated a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, some of those, the needs they had before haven't really changed. They yeah. maybe just been a little more intense, but we're able to uh, provide that support you know, to them. At, yeah. I think I remember kind of, you know, April, May, June, July of 2020, and there was a lot of talk, this is an unprecedented time and, you know, the pandemic has only exacerbated the inequities. Um, did you get a sense of that? Was that coming up in your conversations in Illinois and Iowa or were people just like, no, it's just, we're just having to do remote learning. It's still the same. Or were people really trying to grapple with, you're right. This really isn't working for all kids. It's not working for teachers. It's not working for principals. Or were people just like, "No, we're we're. It's not that not that dramatic." Everyone, it's it's kind of business as usual. What was really happening on the ground? Uh, it really you know, the conversations we were having and things we were hearing was really interesting because the response that Illinois had, well, education in Illinois and education in Iowa during that time were really completely different. Ah, uh, Iowa was really one of the the first states that they were, they were back in school of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, full time. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and they didn't have that long of a remote learning. Um, mm-hmm. there were some pockets of districts that had a little longer, but for the most part, the state was really back in and Illinois, some rural districts in, in, in Southern Illinois, uh, Western Illinois, 
you know, many of them were, were also getting back to school. And then more of the urban areas were uh, staying with remote learning a little longer or some hybrid approach. Yep. And Chicago uh, obviously was uh, you know, still <laughs> staying, uh, you know, in, in the remote, uh, you know, learning a little longer. Um, and so it was, we had these two states that were really approaching things differently. But did you get a sense that people were trying to use the pandemic as a lightning rod, would you say, to get at some of those persistent inequities, right? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we talked about SIG, right? And that's now 20 years ago, almost. Um, and before that, it was no child left behind. And so there's always kind of been a, a wave of, well, maybe this reform will do it. Did you get a sense that people were like, okay, we're going to really do some things that are innovative. We're going to really turn this, this beast upside down. Or were people just trying to survive day to day? I think there's a, com- a combination of that. Uh, I remember a lot of discussions we had with our, we have an advisory board with the region nine comprehensive center. And we had a lot of discussions early on of, of saying, we all agreed that we were really hoping that at whenever we came out of this, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever time and whenever that we wouldn't go back to education exactly the way it was, mm-hmm. uh, that there would be something new, some innovation that we would take advantage of this and, and things would be fundamentally different in some ways. Okay. Uh, that was really a, a fear that they had. They said, let's take advantage of this. Hmm. Uh, and in, in seeing where we are now, you know, yeah. there were, there's a lot of discussion during the time, uh, and depending on who you talk to, where we had some who said, I love this remote learning. You know, there, yeah. there are students who, who really loved it. Because this was the the first time that they you weren't getting bullied at school, right? Uh, this was the first time that they weren't getting uh, you know suspended from school, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know uh, you know they could they could actually yeah. engage. Right. There were some obviously that did not engage remotely, right. Right. Uh, and and there were some that you know in in the hybrid model they actually you know, really enjoyed being able to go half day in person and, mm-hmm. and half day remote. It, it was, it was more options yeah. for being differentiated instruction that yeah. we've always talked about in education yeah. of really yeah. differentiating our approaches. Yeah. We really had a chance to do that here. Just the, the conversation kept going. We need to get kids back in school full time. Right. Personally, I, I think that we've missed a little bit of the, the opportunity there to say, you know, have we, moved on too fast and not really mm-hmm. learned differentiating in this way can't help. And so, yeah. You know, so maybe has the comp center been a, um, an elevator of student voice? How are you that, ensuring that students voices are heard so that you can actually differentiate the kids can say, I want to have a choice now. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that's a great question. Um, and it, and it gets me to an, you know, another thing that we, we really have been uh, trying to promote is let's listen to our students. Illinois has uh, this group called the Illinois Student Advisory Council, and it's just a, a fabulous group of students. Uh, every year they look at, uh, they identify some research priorities that they're going to look at, and then they make recommendations to the state board. The largest group of stakeholders in education yeah. are students. Yeah. And it's also the group that is probably has the, the smallest voice. Correct. Uh, you know, we don't 
you know, tend, tend to say, you know, what's working for you of, and a couple of the issues that, that this group this year was looking at was social emotional learning Mm. and, and also, uh, um, exclusionary discipline practices. Um, oh, wow. And so they, they were getting some, you know, some, some weighty things. I don't think that we as, you know, as the adults really take enough time and make the time to do that consistently. Maybe it's, you know, once or twice a year, but really on a consistent basis, are we really getting, you know, uh, your finger on the pulse of the student experience uh, and their learning? No, positions? I agree. I think, I think, Aaron, I think from starting back from, when the pandemic really hit, we've heard obviously about, you know, what superintendents are saying or have been saying, what principals, teachers, you know, everyone's burned out. This is what they need. Obviously parents, because, you know, they're kind of bum rushing school board meetings, school board members, um, the unions, teachers unions. We've heard all of those voices, very little um, time and space have, have been really given to kids. New state laws are rolling out that impact kids, whether they're LGBTQ+, all of these kind of adult shifts without the actual young people who are impacted the most. So that's, that's just been, you know, burning in my brain for two years. Like, why are we not talking to the kids themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> so it's great yeah. to hear that you have this kind of student council that's elevating student voice yeah. in Illinois. That's great to hear. What now is happening, would you say, with those ESSER funds? Because that's really what's kind of rolling out from the feds. But along with those ESSER funds, right, Aaron, there are a few things. I know people had to write plans, but there are a few things that they have to kind of respond to. And I want to and I just want to make sure that I'm really clear. Isn't it like extended learning, per se? So whether that's kind of summer recovery, tutoring, um, community schools is another thing that could possibly be in their plan. But Aaron, we've been in this game a long time. These are not things that we haven't done before. It's like, oh, what? You think tutoring's going to help? You think community schools are going to help? Wait, summer school? So I'm like, what? What are we missing? I'm I'm a little confused here. <laughs> uh. Yes. Yes, Carmen, yes. Uh, and for you folks, you yeah. can't see Aaron. He's got a big, beautiful window right behind him. So just that, don't jump out that window. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I enjoy like, the view from up here. I want to pull yeah. my hair out. I yeah. saw that, and I'm like, why those things? I'll, I'll start with the influx of money. And then this is yeah. you know, this is, is definitely Aaron's, Aaron's opinion and thought on this. Yeah. But, but I think going back to my experience leading turnaround before we had all of the money, mm-hmm. having a good plan in place, having putting systems in place and really investing in the people mm-hmm. that are yeah. know, taking time to do that, which that's not, that's not quick work. That's not Correct. You know, really easy work. That's building relationships that that's not and easy. And then provide the fix. skill, right. And provide yes. the skill yes. and support for teachers, parents. Yes. And that, like you said, that's not quick work. That's no. not, Oh, look over the summer, we're going to have everybody up to speed and ready to go in the fall. I'm yeah. Like, oh. yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the, so many of the discussions that, that I've had, and this was with uh, several of our smaller rural districts. They love the idea of, a lot of these, you know, American Rescue Plan funds, the ESSER mm-hmm. funds coming their way. One of the the big issues they had was just their their infrastructure to actually be able to apply for and be able to actually use the money. Mm. Uh, it, it it's great to have the money, but 
if you don't have the the staff to correct to write the grant or to know how you're going to distribute it. And so that that's been a challenge for them. Larger districts have been able to distribute it more and do some more things with it. But a lot of things that we're hearing is that we have more money now than we kind of know what to do with. Yeah. No, um, I say this all the time, whether again, whether it was no child left behind or race to the top or, you know, whatever the initiative was, there seems to never be at the federal level the time taken to think about what implementation would look like in multiple settings. Everyone thinks we're going to roll out this money and it's New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit. It's like, no, 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 no. There's, you know, Shingle Springs, California with 2,000 people, you know, a tiny little school um, with no Wi-Fi. There's schools on reservations. There's Hawaii. There's the Department of Defense schools. And so there's never this kind of forethought of, we'll give you some guidance on possibly how to use these funds in your setting. Mm-hmm. So is that maybe the role that the comp centers are supposed to play? I'm trying to figure out where the disconnect always happens with these huge initiatives that roll yeah. out. And it's like, what? Huh? Yeah. Come on. We are able to kind of expand the ears, I guess, of you know, what we're hearing from, from, from our states. So, so that's, a, that's a strength that the comprehensive centers you know, can bring to that is we're constantly on – trying to you know, need sense and say, yeah. what are the needs? What are the emerging things that are happening so that we, yeah. if we can get out, we can help yeah. elevate those uh, on a, either at the state level or national level a little further. Um, yeah. So now what, Aaron? <laughs> it's, if we're post, we're post COVID. So now what, what's, what's K-12 schooling going to look like? Yeah. Is it going to be dramatically different? Is this, yeah. you know, unprecedented time going to change the way in which we do school K-12? Yeah. I, I, we, we, we can hope that there are some adjustments of, you know, last week, the, the Department of Education just announced, you know, some new initiatives uh, that I think uh, one's called the National Partnership for Student Success. Okay. And, uh, you know, this program that is, that is rolling out is looking to, you, know, you, you did talk about tutoring, but it, it's admitting that there's not a, a one size fits all, mm-hmm. you know, cure all for everything. Okay. And it's looking at how can we provide you know, high impact tutoring? How can we provide mentoring and, and yeah. supports for students? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm excited to see where that, that program goes and, and hopefully okay. being able to you know, differentiate and really get to support students where they are. Okay. And, and support so if them. you have a, if you get to talk to the feds about that program, be the voice for the rural and the remote, yes. because we can't get tutors. Right. Where we are. No, it's again, it's great ideas where you have a population where you can pull from millions of people. Mm-hmm. I'm in a town of 2000. Yeah. Where are we going to get tutors? <laughs> right. Where are we going to get mentors? Yes. So I, I think, again, if you if we all can just be thinking about what America is, it's a vast, varied, beautiful place. And this idea that let's do community schools, I'm like what? We don't even have a grocery store. We don't even have a library. What are you talking about community schools? Yep. Like we don't have a psychologist. We don't have a hospital. We don't even have a police station. We've got to be a little more thoughtful about this change, this transformational change that we want to see happening everywhere. Yep. Um, yep. So, yeah. So yep. I like the idea. I yep. just hope people are thinking a little deeper about, well, what does America look like? So we've got some tutoring you're talking about. Um, what else? Is going to happen post COVID. Oh, you know, one thing that I am really encouraged by this this is another another thing that we've really been trying to 
promote uh, is during this time, just the importance of engaging students, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. but also engaging families. So often you don't think about taking the time to, we need to engage parents more. We need to engage families more uh, and and the community. And so that's an area that also I'm hoping is more common and and is, Mm -hmm. you know, escalated the, the importance of that is really authentic engagement with families yeah. and it's not just sending emails out you know correct kind of one-way communication out that's not engagement with families correct. right it's correct. how can we bring them in to help with decision making how can we get their take on what's working for their students what's working for their families you know, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. can they provide and so um, a project that we've been working on with illinois is on their family community engagement framework okay uh, and so I'm hoping that there is more, uh, you know, really let's talk, but let's also listen to each other, Correct. Uh, you know, type of engagement moving forward. Yeah. Let's talk mm-hmm. about kind of the financial aspect of post COVID life. We know that there are just kind of blatant inequities around how school districts are funded anyway, mm-hmm. but do you see any changes around kind of funding or financial systems? Yeah. Post COVID, yeah, um, for for so many years there was a lot of discussion about you know about funding equity, and and this actually came out in a, a recent um, kind of recommendations for future research from uh, the Institute of Education Sciences. We know that there's been this historic look at at equity funding models and how the money is going to districts, mm-hmm. uh, but there hasn't been enough follow up of is it working. Right. ROI. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That return on investment. And so that's an area that states are putting up American Rescue Plan funding and and ESSER spending dashboards uh, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. showing this is the money that's going out. These are how your districts are spending it and encouraging that next step of saying, and, and so what? And is it working? Is it adding to that evidence base of saying, if we invest the funds here, then- we're seeing improvement in student social, emotional, mental health well-being, which is, uh, it's, it's difficult to, might be difficult to assess, but we have to try. Are we seeing, you know, improvement in, uh, in quality of instruction? You yep. Know, I, I think there's that, there's that piece in the middle that we look at, okay, here's money. And then is it leading to student achievement? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And there's the black box in, in between. <laughs> right. That's where the what work did you is do? Done, right? yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This is this yeah. is totally making me excited because yeah. this is all. I mean, every time I go into a district, I talk about I talk about ROI, and it's difficult if you are trying to be a district who wants to do ROI work because you don't have the software to make those connections for you. So you're just kind of guessing. Yeah, um, yeah this yeah. is good to hear. So yeah. how yeah. how do you see that playing out? Yeah, uh, w- one thing that we've we've really been talking about it. in in looking at any program that they're putting in place you know with the money okay what kind of logic model what theory of action are you mm-hmm. how are you seeing this money these inputs really making mm-hmm. a difference you know, you're down the line the the real work happens in in the classroom correct and are we seeing improvement in instruction and correct teachers play a role in that administrators school administrators play a role in that in yep. being in the classrooms yep. providing feedback mm-hmm. providing support and so when you don't know as you said in the black box and for me it's really this input output scenario and then we don't know what's going on going on yep. inside the school building 
And I don't know why that is. I Sometimes I think it's purposeful, Aaron. Like there's a complicit relationship that teachers and principals and superintendents have where it's like, well, you just do your thing and I won't really look and I won't really say anything because I know it's not good <laughs> because I can't do anything about it. So I don't, I don't know how we get there because so many people don't want to really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I, I wrote a blog about this a, a few months ago. Um, you know, setting learning conditions for next year. We, we can put money in, we can buy these new programs, all of this professional development. There are a ton of things that people need to improve on. Right. But mm-hmm. okay. Let's take a step back and say, if we could focus on one thing, or mm-hmm. two things this year and really get better at it as a school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of how far you would be just the next level you would be on a year from now. Uh, right. Was, was really what I was trying to promote with that. Th- yeah. Those are, those are just some things that I, I would really you know, encourage everyone to kind of self-examine. They're simple. They're not, you know, earth shattering, you know, ideas, yeah. but they do take time and they do take effort yeah. to do and are so yeah. often overlooked. Yeah, because it's not it's not sexy. Yeah. Right? It's like it's it's every year it's got to be some new reiteration of something old, really. Yep. And it's like but it's in a new package and so now we got to do this new thing. Like yep. last year was called PLCs, now it's called, you know, cute circles in the corner. Yep. Let's do the cute <laughs> circles in the, you know, so it's always this like constant churn of stuff. And again, yep. I thought the pandemic would halt that for a moment to say, okay, let's take stock. What do we really need to do to transform education? And it seems yeah. like, and I think you're in agreement, Aaron, yeah. that we're not quite, the pandemic didn't really do that. So it's really going to be maybe just upon individual districts and schools to take it upon themselves to use these funds to kind of get at the heart of good teaching and learning on their own, right? There's, yeah. gonna, there's not going to be this like national awakening, really. It's going to be individual schools and and districts to say, hey, we're going to take on this work. We're going to close out the noise. We're going to Mm -hmm. put the blinders on. We're not going to be changing every year, different initiatives. We're just going to do the work of teaching and learning. So is that really where we're headed, you think? Oh, I I think that's really where we'll see it is. It is local. It is internal. You Mm -hmm. have those, uh, those brave leaders that are able to deflect you know mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the noise mm-hmm. and, and the things coming in and saying no th- th- this is the right way to go we we have a good plan but not totally shuttering everything out where they're they're not taking time to to take stock while it's going to say is this working Do right, right, right. We need to make yes. tweaks yeah of uh, so with that Aaron anything else you want to add to this conversation of post-covid oh. schooling oh wow uh that, <laughs> that was wide open uh <laughs> I know <laughs> Yeah, I. I, What's keeping you positive? What are you hoping will happen? What's keeping me positive is is knowing that every year we're going to get we're going to continue to get a new wave of students coming in. Those students are excited about school. Mm -hmm. They're excited about this opportunity to learn. At some point, and I don't know what year it happens. it, It happens all over the place, but. For many of them, it slowly and sometimes there's an event that kind of takes away some of that joy because we're trying to overassess or try to make them fit into this, you know, this, yeah. this mold of teaching and learning that kind of morphed over the years. Knowing that there's always going to be this group coming in, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that we will have in pockets and hopefully we'll, we're able to keep 
those kids enjoying going to school longer and Mm -hmm. kids who have lost the joy, how can we bring back that joy of learning and joy of being in school? I feel like there is, there are some conversations going on. There are some people who are realizing that we we do need to provide some different opportunities to students. And I hope that continues to, uh, in some ways it's being, you know, zigging when the rest of, you know, the world and education is zagging and saying, totally, we to, you know, totally. assess, assess, you know, more, more tests. Yep. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I'm hopeful for. And that's what I keep, keep trying to promote is say, let's, let's talk more. Let's yeah. you know, get more of the perspective of students, parents, and teachers and, and yeah. leaders of, of what's going on and what can be successful. Perfect. Couldn't have said it better myself. So we'll end on that note. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I, we could, like I said, we could talk. For I know hours. we could talk forever. And, and in and, fact, we should. I need to have. We need yeah. to have coffee. We're we, in the same city, so yes. we need to have coffee. We 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 do we do, and and hopefully the the, the route was you know uh, somewhat direct in our conversation. We it, were all it over was. the place, but it was. that's what happens when old friends get together, right? We, I know, uh, I know. We just yeah. are like just jump in, but yes. no, this is great. So, and can I put in one small plug? Sure. Uh, for the uh, for the Region Nine Comprehensive Center. So yes. anyone who's listening. Uh, Please check out our website, region9cc.org. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, also sign up for our newsletter. We put out good stuff once a month, blogs and, and resources. Uh, and also check out the Comprehensive Center Network as well. There's a lot of good stuff, and it's all free. So anybody oh, looking wow. for, for great uh, resources and uh, you know, thoughts and ideas, uh, it's all there. So thank all you, All right, Carl. cool. Thank you, Aaron. Take care, sir. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Schooled with Carla Hulse is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>